Welcome to the Life Giver Marriage Podcast, a place for honest conversation and hope for your military or first responder marriage. This is your host, Corey Weathers, and I'm honored to share this journey with you. Hi, this is Dr. John Townsend, and you're listening to Life Giver. Hi, this is Taya Kyle, and you're listening to Life Giver. Hi, I'm Shasta Nelson, founder of GirlfriendCircles.com, and you are listening to Life Giver. Welcome to a very special edition of Life Giver. This is your host, Corey Weathers. You've probably heard me speak in the last month or so about a fantastic movie coming out called Indivisible. It's coming out in theaters October 26th, and it shares one of our true life stories with one our current, a current couple actually, active duty couple chaplain, Darren Turner and his wife, Heather. You may have even heard my interview with Heather a couple weeks ago where we talked about the ups and downs of military life and marriage and specifically how deployment impacted their marriage and a turning point that they had in their marriage where they really saw the importance of pursuing each other again and really preserving their relationship. Well, I have a very special interview for you today with the lovely and talented Sarah Drew. You may recognize Sarah from her nine seasons on um, ABC's medical hit drama, Grey's Anatomy. She may also look familiar from her starring role in Mom's Night Out, um, starring next to one of my other favorite actors, John Aston. You may know him from Goonies and also from um, Lord of the Rings. So Sarah, I just want to say thank you so much for giving some of your very precious time. I know you've been very busy this season. And can I just start off by also saying thank you for um, really shining a spotlight on military marriages and marriages in general. So welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, so we have lots to get into. You've had a very, very busy season. Um, you have finished strong with Grey's Anatomy, and I mean finished strong. Um, you also were nominated for an Emmy for your um, first time directing, actually, um, mm -hmm. a short web series called B-Team that highlights the interns of Grey's Anatomy. So I want to say congratulations on that nomination. That is fantastic. <laughs> Thank and you. And of course, let me also point out that not only did you star in Indivisible, but you also um, produced it. So very busy busy season. Mm -hmm. I know you've been talking a little bit about a lot of these transitions, so I'd love to ask you, how has this recent season been for you, considering it's been so full? Yeah, it, I mean, it's been probably the, the, the craziest and most intense season of my professional life, for sure, um, because I, I, I experienced actually the greatest heartbreak of my professional life, not my personal life, but my professional life, um, when I was let go from my family of nine years, it was incredibly emotional and really hard and um, and I really grieved it. But but there was also such this like abundant outpouring of love and support and um, and it ended up being one of the sweetest times <laughs> of my life, actually, in the midst of the sort of the pain and um, some anger and uh, and all of that stuff and and just sadness of saying goodbye, um, but it's really led to um, a, a season of of like jubilant, life giving joy. I I um, 
in many ways, I think I was probably ready to move on, but it was too great of a job for me to walk away on my own. So um, in, in many ways, I feel like I was, I was just removed from that situation <laughs> to, to go into the next great thing. And, and thus far, it's been an incredibly vibrant, um, exciting time of my career with the Emmy nomination. And um, I just finished a movie uh, in Vancouver that I'm that I had such a blast doing and had so much fun doing. And it's been a season of kind of uh, testing the waters um, and taking up on more leadership responsibilities. And that has felt really, really life giving for me. So so yeah, I mean, it's been a, it's been a wild time. Um, pain, but beauty and joy and love so much love. There's been so much love during this season of my life. Um, it's wild. It's wild. And I, I can't wait to see what comes next. Well, do you feel that sometimes, I mean, you have nine years is such a long time to carry on like one role and to be a part of this family. Do you feel like sometimes we often don't see what's next until like a door closes and another one opens and then we can see the blessing and beauty on the other side? Oh, absolutely. And, and I think the, um, you know, there's a lot of faith that's required in the waiting and the waiting is hard for me i'm not gonna pretend that it isn't but it is it is a space that um when you when you when you're when a door is closed and you're in the in-between there's fear that creeps in there's insecurity that creeps in there's envy you know comparing my life to other people who are doing something or working somewhere whatever um there is all of these things can kind of creep in and attack during a season of waiting but it can also be a really uh sweet time of reflection and of self-growth and of opportunities to um to pursue self-care, which I'm very bad at. Yeah. Um, and a sweet time to to really invest and be present with my kids and my husband and my friendships. And I've, um, you know, it was it really, in the last like two weeks since I came home from doing this film in Vancouver, it's the first time I've had a moment to breathe since I got the news that I was being let go. So, and that was back in March. So it's really been a, a pretty um, steady flow of insanity until just the last two weeks. And the last two weeks have been a tough transition for me, but I'm, 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 I'm now, I'm starting to really embrace the beauty in the waiting. <laughs> tough is in slowing down just a little bit because you were moving so fast. Yeah, that's for yeah. me, that's tough yeah. um, because I'm not very good at resting. I'm not very good at self-care. Um, I don't, uh, I, I just don't do it very often. I haven't found the things that I know I can lean on to care for myself. Um, and I feel very vibrant and alive when I'm on the move, when I'm on the go. And certainly the last month was just a hundred miles an hour. So going a hundred miles an hour to landing back at home and being like, I don't know what's next. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it's a bit of a, there's a panic that rises, even though I know, even though I know, um, number one, I know God is faithful because he has been and has continued to be and continues to show me that he is. Um, and even though I know from a practical standpoint, I know I'm going to keep working. Um, it's, 
still, I still get gripped in the fear of if I'm not doing something right now, I'm not being valuable. Um, and that's a bit, that's a big thing that, that I'm learning and growing. <laughs> Which, I mean, several things came to my mind just now. Number one, how many military spouses and first responder spouses I think can really relate to what you were just saying. I mean, we, we tend to be a community that um, does stay very busy and kind of grows comfortable with the chaos and the constantly changing variables that are happening in our life and, and sacrificing our own self-care. And, and it can be this kind of withdrawal feeling of when things slow down and actually thinking about taking care of yourself and the blessing that's there of just God giving you just a moment, maybe just to like enjoy the simple things, enjoy your family, enjoy that slow pace and knowing that he's still going to take care of things on the other side. Um, is I think a difficult process that I think everybody will relate to. Um, you know, I have, I was kind of, when I was preparing for talking with you, I was, um, really like something that was heavy on my heart that I really wanted to ask you, or at least talk to you about was, um, April Kepner's story. Mm -hmm. Um, the character that you played in Grey's Anatomy was such a very rich, full story. Um, carrying this character for so long, um, going through the ups and downs with whether it was her faith or whether it was life issues, relational issues. Um, there was, I think, I just have to tell you that I think that this last season, your portrayal of April was unbelievable and flawless and gorgeous. And I just want to say thank you for doing such a great job and being excellent at your craft. Um, my favorite scene, I think, of the entire series, and my husband and I have been fans from the beginning, we've watched Grey's Anatomy from the very beginning. We watched it throughout various deployments together and would mm -hmm. use that as a way to, I know that sounds crazy, but we would use that as a way to stay connected I and just that. kind of talk about, you know, um, I would find a way back in 2009, even find a way to record it somehow and send it to Afghanistan. And then we talk about it over the phone. And um, mm -hmm. so one of my favorite scenes was this past season um, when your character, April, really kind of hit this crisis of faith and really had this moment with um, the rabbi, Eli. Mm -hmm. um, it was a beautiful scene where he um, is about to pass away, but April is actually going through her own crisis of faith and having to make some very rich, big decisions on good versus evil, joy versus pain, the role of suffering in life. Here we go. <laughs> no. If people only believed in God when things were good, I guarantee you, after the Holocaust, not a single Jew would be a believer. <laughs> okay, well, see, now you mention the Holocaust, and anything I say after that makes me... A narcissist? Like, I'm just going to say jackass. <laughs> okay, come on. Deep breath, please. Deep breath. There you go. Faith wouldn't be real faith. You only believe when things are good. So what? The world is just cruel and random and there's nothing anyone can do about it. Look, I don't have a lot of time here. Do you mind if I just skip the part where I pretend I don't know what to tell you? I'm just going to tell you, okay? Okay. You sound like a child. What? Terrible things happen. Terrible. Wonderful. Devastating things happen. Who the hell are you to know why? Who are you to know why some people live and some people die? Children die. Children who didn't do anything wrong. Children 
who were broken before they had a chance to be whole, who were climbing in their own front windows. All right, and you don't get to know why any more than, than I get to know why I'm dying from taking a pill that saves lives, that saves nearly everyone's life, and it's killing me. So you can either believe in God and goodness, or you can believe it's pointless, it's cruel, and it's random. Whatever makes you happier. Are you happy? It's not narcissism. And then what is it? I don't know. Pain. Unimaginable pain. Yeah, I know the feeling. God's not indifferent to our pain. Listen, tikkun olam, tikkun olam means that the world is full of brokenness, and it's our job to put it back together again. It assumes that the world is uh, broken and in need and in pain. And it's our job to fix, fix, fix. Eli, let me, let me give you some more morphine. I can, I, I can take away the pain. One sixtieth of your pain, I can do that, please. Let me. You already did. Oh, listen, tell, will you tell Dr. Bailey that I forgive her? Okay? You, you'll, tell, you'll tell her, right? Eli, Eli, no. You have to hang on just a little bit longer. Elise is on her way. She's on her Elise, way. Elise is here? She'll, she'll be here any minute. Elise. I, I love you. Okay. Okay, Eli. Okay. Oh, Elise. I'm here. I love. I'm right here. I love. I love. Your acting was so fantastic, but also because in this world of military and first responder life, I think that's one of the biggest issues that I see couples struggling with is this role of what do, how do I hold in my hand both good and evil? How do I hold in my hands um, the joy and the pain of life? And how do I also then wrestle in my faith? That's one of the biggest questions that I hear from a clinical perspective, I hear is where is God in all of that? And so I remember taking that scene and going, this is teachable material. This is what can be used for people to walk through that. So I think my question for you really is what has it been like for you to carry this character over nine years? And, and cause I know in acting, you kind of have to kind of live in this person's shoes a little bit mm -hmm. in order to, to string that story along. 
what was that like for you? And maybe what was that moment for April like and portraying that moment for April like? Yeah, um, I, uh, you know, it's been a, a tremendous honor um, and privilege to get to tell this story. I mean, truly. Um, I, what was really <laughs> wonderful, the whole, the whole way through, I've been able to um, participate in the journey and the crafting of April's, journey, of April's story, of her faith journey. Um, when they decided to make my character a Christian back in season, and end of season eight, um, Shonda Rhimes actually said, you know, we would love your input. I, the only thing I care about is telling a, a, an authentic story. I don't want to tell a one-dimensional Christian story. You have grown up in it. You know it. Um, please pitch us stories. Let us know if anything doesn't feel right, if any of the language doesn't feel right. Talk to us. I mean, there was even like um, when my character was dating the, the um, Matthew, mm -hmm. they called my dad to ask about what marriage counseling, premarital counseling looked like and felt like. And then they named the pastor who married me, Reverend Drew, um, mm. in the actual, and then my actual dad walked me down the aisle as my, as April's dad. I mean, it was just so crazy, oh, but like they, they consulted with him because they said, we, we want to know what this experience is and we want to tell it well. And so to have a group of writers that were really, really open to, um, to not going down the direction that a lot of of shows do in in um in television, you know, there just aren't. A April's kind of one of a kind on television mm -hmm. in in mm -hmm. terms of telling a story about a Christian that isn't one dimensional, where she isn't the butt of every joke, where she isn't mm -hmm. the ju judgmental crazy lunatic, where she isn't like on the verge of a cult situation. You know, mm -hmm. it's someone who's really just trying to live out a faithful life mm -hmm. and trying to be a loving human mm -hmm. and failing. Mm -hmm. and having to apologize and and um, also competent and and it was yes yeah. who's actually yeah. also smart yeah. and, and competent and incredibly good at her job mm -hmm. you know i mean they're all of those things um so it was a, it was a tremendous a tremendous privilege to get to be a part of the telling of her story and i was um and but it was also a burden you know because there is a sense of you know you're representing a giant community of people who are profoundly underrepresented. They're not underrepresented in lots of other areas in, in our country, but in Hollywood, mm -hmm. they are profoundly underrepresented, at least the authentic ones that mm -hmm. I know, that I, mm -hmm. that I engage with on a regular basis. Um, so, so anyway, so it was, yeah, it was an honor. I think the, um, you know, what was really cool about the episode where April is kind of brought back to life by this dying rabbi is that the writer of that episode, Elizabeth Finch, is um, has become over the years a dear friend. And we've had so many deep conversations about Judaism and Christianity and uh, our faith, our various different faith journeys. And we um, we've developed a really like loving relationship. And so she was tasked with the job of writing the episode where April has the return to faith moment. And it was her pitch to have it come from the voice of a rabbi. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought it was so brilliant. And I thought the way she structured it was so beautiful, this like massive 11 page scene. Um, but she, as she asked me, I remember the conversation very clearly. She, you know, uh, as she was writing the episode, she said, what would a believer need to hear to mm. bring them back? Help, help me understand. 
And um, how, like, what, what does a Christian need to hear that could make sense of the problem of pain? And my response was, they need to know that, um, you know, uh, happiness all the time is not a guarantee for a faithful life. Um, but they need to know above all else is it, it, what they need to know above all else is that God is not indifferent to their mm -hmm. pain and that, and I, and I added this other thing that didn't get added in, um, but, but that they have a brother in Jesus mm -hmm. who has walked every possible road they can possibly imagine in, in regards to suffering. And he's done it all. He's done it all already. And so when you are in the midst of suffering and pain, you're not alone. There's no way you can ever be fully alone. Um, you, you know, you have a suffering brother <laughs> uh, who loves you and has walked with you. And, and so that, that was my, and, and, and also suffering is kind of like a guarantee. That was the other thing is like, there's so much in the Bible about what to do with suffering, which says to me that nobody has promised that you're just going to live a smooth, happy, conflict-free life. If you have faith, you're, you're pretty much guaranteed that there's going to be really, really rough crap that you're going to have to weather in some way. And so the question is, do you um, allow people in to help you? Do you allow God in to walk with you? Or do you try to go at it alone? Um, or do you measure your faith against the amount of suffering you're, you have? Because I think a lot of Christians do that. Uh, a lot of people do that. They're like, if I live a good life, that means things should go well. Why are things not going well? That must mean God isn't good. But what you do when you do that is that you put yourself in the place of power as if it's up to you to create your universe. And it's just not up to us. Horrible it's, things just happen, you know? It's what true. A beautiful message that is, even to our military and first responder community, because um, it is something that I think that I don't I don't want to say that our community wrestles with that more than anybody else because we all go through various levels of suffering, various levels of of just challenging our faith and trying to figure out who is God and who am I and um, and how do I do this thing called marriage? And, and how does that challenge our faith too? You know, there's so many um, things that all of us go through. But I think um, since I work so heavily within that um, community, I think that that is a huge question that everybody has to wrestle with because um, so many of our first responders, um, and that's why I, I think it's ironic to, uh, maybe not ironic, but the fact that your even your history with Grey's Anatomy really does tie in a lot with our first responder. Because I, I actually include a lot of our emergency room workers, a lot of our medical professionals mm -hmm. with those first responders. Yeah, absolutely. Of the tragedy and trauma and things that everybody experiences, we typically see the worst of humanity. Mm -hmm. um, whether it's on a daily basis or during deployments or whatever. And so having to ask those deep questions um, it's crucial for those next steps of our own health of, like you said earlier, our self-care. And I just want to just say, thank you for doing such a great job. The writing was unbelievable. Please pass that along I will. Um, and just tell them um, that scene alone will be used over and over again to work, I think, with military and first responders and letting us talk about we have to embrace that level and the variable of suffering in our lives. And I think this is not about bashing or anything, but in the Protestant world, we typically do kind of have this measuring stick, like you mentioned, where we, it's very easy for us to go, but if I have God, then I'm not going to struggle so much. And he didn't promise that. Mm -hmm. And so we have to almost embrace 
suffering, at least the suffering we can't control. Yeah. And say, how is this going to be part of my journey? How am I going to resolve this in my heart and in my mind so that my faith can grow? Yeah. And I, I will say what was also really cool about that particular episode is um, I had people writing into me after that episode aired from every different walk of life you could possibly imagine. I had Muslims, I had uh, Jewish people, I had Christians, I had atheists, mm -hmm. agnostics. I had people who were just, you know, very spiritual people and then people who don't consider themselves spiritual people. And I had people, everyone tweeting at me going, I've been stuck and this moment unstuck me. And I've started a healing process because of what happened with April. Like, you know, I, I just, it's so extraordinary. And I, I was, you know, texting my, um, the, my, the writer, my writer friend, uh, Elizabeth, who wrote it just to be like, you have no, like no idea what you've done. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so extraordinary the impact that this story has been able to have on the lives of, of so many people. Um, and I know she feels it too. You know, she was getting a lot of love too, but she was so... It was so encouraging for her to hear that too. But that, I mean, that for me was, you know, the most extraordinary thing. When, when, a, when, a, when a, a story about someone struggling with pain, struggling with suffering and struggling with their faith transcends all of the boundaries of faith systems and backgrounds and, and speaks a universal truth, Mm -hmm. that builds bridges between communities that are oftentimes many times at each other's throats or just can't see eye to eye, you know? And like, if I can do anything in my life, I feel like my greatest calling is to be a bridge builder because we're so polarized and yeah, we are. And so thank you for doing that and doing it so well. Um, you have an incredible amount of favor and the opportunity and influence that you have, um, I can say you've done well, you've done well. And so I know that what we're here to do is to talk about this also another amazing thing that's happening, which I could honestly do a whole episode on just that one clip. Like yeah. you're right, there's so much that can be unpacked. Um, even the just various parts of, of that character, that's for another time, um, but just well done. And um, thank you for finishing well. Um, and huge respect to um, Chanda for helping you to finish well and letting that character finish well. I know there's a lot of people that just really enjoyed it. And um, I, I, especially during <laughs> a couple of days of binging on my own of self-care, enjoyed yeah. that as well. So, <laughs> Thank you. Um, so another huge thing happening for you is that um, you walked into the producing role mm -hmm. um, of Indivisible, the movie that we were talking about yeah. with Heather and Darren Turner. So yes, you played Heather as well, but talk to everybody a little bit about um, the role of being a producer and why was this story in particular something that stood out to you? Um, well, yeah, so I, so I met um, Darren Mormon, who is a uh, uh, the producer on the film as well. I was pitching him another a book that I had optioned and, you know, halfway through, or he let me finish my pitch. He's like, that sounds great, but let me pitch you on this. And he sent me the script and I was like, you know, I'm excited to get into the, um, to dip my toes into this idea of producing. And I would love to be a part of every, every piece of the, uh, of the process. I want to give script notes. I want to help cast it. I want to be on set with headphones. I want to give notes while we're shooting. I want to, I also want to, um, uh, understand what it feels like to really be in the position of leadership. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't 
realize how intensely like alive I feel when I'm in a space of leadership. That I'm, I, I realize I've been saying the, the last like three projects I've had outside of Gray's, I have been able to have that role and I feel like I am operating out of my created self when I'm in a position where I can set the tone and, and lead with love and um, be an empowering and encouraging force. Cause it really does, um, it, it, it allows for an entire community of people to have a positive experience when you have the person who's in the leadership role lifting everyone up. Um, and so that, so that was, that was really fun for me. I didn't also realize that walking into this, um, I would get bit by the director bug. I thought that I, I thought that directing was going to be too overwhelming for me. Like the idea of trying to hold all the information in my head and think about every, think about every character. And then also think about how you shoot something and think about, you know, set pieces and wardrobe and all of these things. And I found that I took to it pretty, pretty naturally that it was something that I was already thinking about anyway. I just needed to speak aloud the things that were rolling around in my brain. So, um, so it was a wonderfully, exciting and empowering and um, delightful time. I, I got to bring all my friends onto the, onto the film. I, I cast so many of, of my dear friends. Um, you know, we had an, in, an incredible crew. People just worked so hard and it was a very joyful set, like very, very joyful set. So that was and really That fun. was one of the questions, obviously, it was did you have a part in bringing in Justin Bruning? And oh yeah, I Casey cast George them all. And, yeah. yes. <laughs> well, obviously you have incredible chemistry with all yes. of them. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about um, doing, you know, doing a movie with people that you love and know well. It's like you just, you don't have to work at the chemistry aspect of it. It's just already there and it's already vibrant. And um, yeah, I, I thought of him and we brought him in and he read with me. He didn't even realize I was playing the role. He thought I was just producing it. He didn't know. And then uh, he he did the, he read the um, the scenes once with the reader. And then I was like, I'm going to get up and do it with you. And he was like, oh, all right. He like took his jacket off. He's like, we're going to get down and dirty. Okay, let's go. I didn't even know this was happening. So, um, so that was really, really fun. And then I remember where I was when I offered Jason George the role. And I remember I got to actually call Sky Marshall to, um, to tell her she got the part. I brought her in because she'd done a guest spot on Grey's. She's, she's an Air Force vet. And I remembered hanging out with her, you know, talking about Air Force stuff. And I was like, she would be amazing in this role. And then I got um, Michael O'Neill, who played the shooter in- Yes. There's a lot of comments <laughs> yeah. about that. Yeah. Like, how is the guy that was shooting up the hospital now, like, the head chaplain? <laughs> but it works. Well, because he's an actor, and he's playing he's a different great. character. And I knew that he would bring a strength and a vulnerability and mm -hmm. an honesty to that mm -hmm. role. Um, and so, like, a lot of the friends, you know, came and did it for less than their quotes just because they were, like, excited to jump on board and do something with their friends, you know? Um, so, yeah, so it was, it was so much fun. And what drew me also to the story that was another part of your question, mm -hmm. is I saw my own marriage story in their story. Um, my husband and I went through a very dark time in our marriage about seven years into, uh, or five years into our marriage. I guess it was like the seven year itch. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, before we had kids, and it was extremely dark and painful, and I did not know if we would survive. Um, and I, I, you know, it's a big long story, but um, we went through counseling and we really both chose 
to fight for it. Um, I felt wildly hopeless in the midst of it. And I remember talking to my dad and just sobbing and him saying to me, you know, just because a situation feels hopeless doesn't mean that it is hopeless. Mm -hmm. So get into counseling right now. You've uncovered a bunch of stuff and you've been sitting on it for weeks and it's just been festering and nothing, you need to bring it into the light with someone who can help the two of you sort this stuff out. Um, And that's the thing, you know, what I was really connecting to in the military family aspect of, of the marriage story is that what I was learning is that you know, when these guys experience the kind of trauma they experience and then they come home, they don't know how to bring that into the light, mm-hmm. you know, like, and I think that that, at least that's, that was what my understanding of, mm-hmm. uh, was of, of what happens in some of these marriages is that they don't have the words to articulate. They want to protect their spouses from the, like the pain that they witness. They don't know how to speak about it. And then the spouses feel more and more isolated. And then the, they feel more and more isolated. And then you feel like you've lost your best friend who used to talk to you about everything. Cause this person is no longer talking to you or communicating about the deepest stuff that's going on. And I think, and there's shame, I think too, there's shame because they want to be strong for their families. They want to be able to just handle it and be soldiers and soldier through it. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, it's too much. Yeah. It's too much for some person, one person, human being, to soldier through the kind of trauma that they experience mm-hmm. over there. It's too much. Mm-hmm. And to expect that of yourself is not reasonable. And I, and I, in my marriage story, I felt very much like I couldn't bring the painful things into light because I was ashamed mm-hmm. of looking like I couldn't succeed at my marriage. I was ashamed. Mm-hmm. I was ashamed of my community looking at me like I was a failure. Mm-hmm. I was ashamed that things didn't feel like I thought they were supposed to feel. And so I bottled stuff up for a really long time until it came to like an exploding point. And um, when really, if I had literally just brought the stuff into light as it was happening, it could be on the table, we could address it, we could move through it together. Um, So anyway, that was what I connected to. What I really unpacked in therapy with my husband was pulling that shame out like getting trying to eliminate the shame pull all the stuff out into the light um and figure out a way to navigate to learn each other's love languages to figure out how to care for one another how to receive the love that they were giving when it wasn't natural for us to need to receive love that way and vice versa Mm -hmm. and we came out the other side in this much more brilliant light and this deep sweet friendship and love that i didn't even know was possible beforehand. So I've always wanted to tell a story about a couple um, really fighting for their marriage and coming out on the other side with hope um, and joy. And this story provided that opportunity for me. So one of the things that drew me into really, I mean, we are a chaplain family, but also um, looking into how chaplain families are doing, how some of our senior officers are doing, um, and I won't get into the details of it, but I did some research and I found that as military families go up in rank, as those soldiers go up in rank, the higher, you, the higher leadership roles that you take on 
um, I think in society, not just in the military, but the more leadership you take on, the more you're put in the spotlight, the more pressures that you put on your shoulders or carry in order to do your job or to serve people or whatever, the more I think we have that shame factor, I think. Mm -hmm. I think that we, I'm not saying that other people don't experience shame. I think we all yeah. do. And it's a complete lie, right? Brene Brown talks about it being the small thing. Brene Brown. Well, I love Brene Brown. Yeah. <laughs> about it, right? Like she's yeah. like the, the common, t common phrase around the house all the time. But, you know, she, she talks about it being the swampland of the soul. It's unproductive. It's a lie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that we all can wrestle with that, but there's something about, and that's, what's wonderful about this movie is that, and I want to say thank you for choosing this couple because, you know, even my husband and I, when we were sharing our story um, of just struggling in our own marriage mm -hmm. and how that's, what that's been like, that we had so many people that came to us and said, you like you guys are struggling. Yeah. Like we didn't even think about how the chaplain might be handling this, or we right. may not even think about how the commander's marriage is or, you know, whatever that leadership role is. And I imagine that was probably a similar feeling that you had when you talked about what the community's opinion would be. Right. We well, I'm a, I'm a pastor's kid. Oh, that's not help. That's, that's like yeah, styling so, it all together. Yeah. I mean, right? I, I grew up in that space of, re of like watching my parents have a hard time finding people to lean on. Yeah you know? So that's huge, right? Like we have all these pressures that somehow get a seat at the table of our marriage and mm -hmm. somehow like influence what we do in our communication and how we pursue each other. And so that was one of the biggest things that stood out to me was number one, finally a beautiful movie that portrays a military couple. Number two, that you're sharing the story of a chaplain couple that so few people think to tell a story about a chaplain couple, but mm -hmm. it's, it's multi-layered. It's not just, I mean, any military family, any military couple can go to this movie and find things that they relate to. And to have those in leadership also see this movie and go, wow, this is what we experience from a leadership perspective of not wanting to be vulnerable and not wanting to talk about how difficult our marriage is or how difficult life is or the, the responsibilities of leadership even. And so we all kind of walk around with this, I shouldn't struggle. Mm -hmm. but I am, and I don't know what to do about that. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. thank you for doing that. And I have to say, I was very nervous to see it, not only because I figured I would relate a lot to it, but you have this amazing um, scene that's not a spoiler, it's in the trailer. Um, it's just the reason why I first saw this beautiful scene of you guys after a deployment in reintegration um, in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And um, I saw the trailer and I was like, oh, I've had that conversation. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I can see it. Mm -hmm. And I, I have to say, number one, that shows just how well the acting and the chemistry is in this movie, how authentic this, the script is, how authentic um, the storyline is. Um, I know the Turners are supportive of it as well and have backed it up. And you also had you the daughter that is in the movie with you that plays your daughter. I think it's Samala. Is that right? Is her um, name? Samara Lee. Yes, Samara. Samara. Yeah. She is a military kid, yeah. right? And her dad was deployed when you guys were actually filming. Yes. Right? Yeah. So you guys went through a lot of work to make sure that this was authentic and really pouring your heart and soul into it. Um, I know we have a few minutes left, so a couple of questions. Mm -hmm. One, what did you pull from Heather's story in particular, or Heather, in figuring out how to portray that character as a military spouse and as a chaplain spouse? It's really yeah, cool from being a pastor's kid too in there. But, yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah. they just feel so, so like similar and yeah. in, in some ways, um, 
she has a hard time allowing anyone else to take care of her. And she's been there, and not necessarily, at least on the pages of the script. You know, I met Heather herself a week into shooting for the first time. So, uh, so you know, there, there's the essence of their story is, is on the screen, and then there's a lot of stuff that's been fictionalized. Um, and so, anyway, I, I, what I really connected to was this whole, it felt very like pastor's wife, it felt very much like a pastor's wife sort of story where you feel like I should have it all together mm-hmm. because I am in this position of leadership. Um, she has this moment with the two women at the end and they've both gone through something big and she's sort of folding laundry. And, and I add a lot of those things like she needs to be doing things for mm-hmm. other people all the time because mm-hmm. that feels very authentic yeah. to yeah. what it is to be, you know, a pastor's wife that feels authentic to me Mm -hmm. so we can't just be sitting around having coffee she needs to be folding the baby's laundry she's come over to clean up or help or offer support even though she's going through the worst thing she's ever experienced in her life Mm -hmm. they're talking about their pain and she instead of immediately offering her own um peace and vulnerability she's just looking out the window until the other women go talk to us you our pain doesn't negate your pain. We're all experiencing pain right now. Let us in, mm-hmm. you know? And she find, and she said, she has this, oh, please don't worry about me. Mm-hmm. You know, that felt like, I just know what that is. Mm-hmm. I know what that experience is. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't know what to do about it. I mean, honestly, I don't know what to do about it for like the lives of, of pastors, wives, and people in leadership and Well, I think you said it a few minutes ago. I think you modeling as a human being, um, your understanding of how important it is to be vulnerable. And I think that you modeled that on screen very well too, by just going, you know what? Yeah, this is hard and Mm -hmm. I am having a bad day. And, um, or sometimes I do need counseling or I do need to take care of myself. And there is something wonderful in all of us as human beings of serving one another, but also recognizing that if we don't take care of ourselves and acknowledge the truth of what's actually going on in us, and like you said, bringing that out into the light, Mm -hmm. even if that means more regularly and not piling it up on the inside, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then we're more likely to not fall apart. Yeah, exactly. So I think that that's huge. Um, I know, um, I also wanted to ask you, was there anything about filming, because filming a military movie can be a big risk, right? Mm-hmm. There's so many, like oh, yeah. so many of us military spouses are st- still learning acronyms and regulations and yes. that sort of thing. So I can only imagine you just kind of dumped it, jumped in the deep end there. Um, was there anything surprising to you in the process of filming or about military life that stood out to you? Um, anything surprising? I mean, it was all a pretty unfamiliar world to me. So, I mean, I, I, I would say there was a lot that was surprising. Um, but also, like, you know, what's interesting about, about this film, I, a friend, one of my good friends uh, went and saw a screening of it the other night, and she goes, this, this military film is unlike any other military film. Like, sure. a lot of other military films, there's just a lot of, like, explosions and blood and guts and PTSD and misery and, you know, <laughs> just, yeah. like death, 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 and more pain and suffering. And she said, this was such an internal story. Yeah. And we've never seen that. 
Right. So for me, you know, I could say there are all these regulation things about the military that I wasn't familiar with, but but actually the, the real matter that we were working in in this movie was an interpersonal spiritual journey. Yeah. And that I'm just, I'm familiar with, you yeah. know? So, so that stuff I could find empathy in because I, I, I could see the world through all, all the different characters' eyes um, because it, it, we were telling such an internal story. It was almost like the military aspect was the setting for, you know, and, and, it, and, it, and it, you know, it's an, a really intense, like high stress yeah. level setting to tell a story about deep internal vulnerable things that, that I'm familiar with, I guess. And I, I do want to say, because I know we're going to have to close out here. You're going to have to go here in just a second. Um, I just want to say that is the reason that everybody should go see this movie, because it is so unlike any other military film that you've seen. And it's such an internal, vulnerable story of what our families and our couples are really going through. It's worth it. Even if you're not a military family, um, you'll see your own story in this. Um, Sarah, in closing, I have one just kind of fun question to close sure. on. Um, because this is kind of a girl moment and because your um, dress for the Creative Arts Emmys was so amazing, <laughs> and we have so many military spouses that um, regularly have to get ready for our military balls all the time, would oh. you mind just for the fun of it, give us one tip that you figured out on getting ready for a formal event that you would say, hands down every time, this is what I do. I know this is so superficial, but- yes. No, it's, it's great, a tip for what to do. I mean, you, I, I will say, um, if I have little fold up flat shoes, like little ballet slippers- Yes. That can fit in a purse. And I will say, I mean, that's just a tool that I bring with me because uh, that my feet want to kill me by, um, you know, hour two or whatever. And sometimes I just, I just got to take the heels off and just got to dance in the slippers that can fold into my purse. Perfect. That's perfect. Sarah, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for doing this movie. Congratulations on so many new things. Congratulations also on taking some time for you and for your family, for your kids. Um, by the way, great speech at UVA um, was so, also very vulnerable and very powerful. So thank you so much for your time. Um, I'm encouraging everybody watching or listening to please go and see this movie. I know that she's put her heart and soul into it and so many other people have as well. I think we'll all find our own story reflected. So Sarah, thank you for your time. And I look forward to hearing more from you and seeing more of what's going to come from you creatively and what God is doing in your life. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome.